You're listening to a live recorded teaching from the Sunday Gathering at the Heights Church in Denver, Colorado. We hope that this teaching is an encouragement to you. To find out more about the Heights Church, visit theheightsdenver.com. Hello, everyone. What a great morning, huh? So my name is Jessica. My husband, Adam, and I have had the honor and privilege of being a part of the Heights for six-plus years now. So very, very fun day to be here. But today, we're going to spend some time together in God's Word. You're going to be very shocked to find out that the reading today comes from Acts chapter 2, <laughs> verses 42 through 47. So in the Bible, the large numbers are the chapters, and the small numbers are the verses. So let's hear what God has to say to us today. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving us the gift of your word. We ask that you speak clearly to us through it today. Help us not just to listen, but to truly obey it for our joy and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Let's give it up for Jessica. Thank you, uh, Jessica. Well, uh, High Church family, happy six-year anniversary. It's been said a thousand times. Uh, I am so excited today uh, just to celebrate God's goodness and God's faithfulness to our church family. Man, what a gift. Uh, six years ago today, I was standing on a stage uh, much smaller than this and wondering if this whole thing was going to work. And uh, man, by God's grace, here we are and uh, really thankful uh, for that. Excited to dive into God's word. We've got, and I love Jessica's little joke on this, I appreciate it. We've got Acts chapter 2 today, and it's going to be, we're going to be looking at signs, wonders, and miracles today. So uh, the promise is it will not be boring. Okay, it will not be boring. I'm excited to dive into that. Uh, but first, I want to talk about a good problem we have as a church family that we're all going to try to solve together. Here is the problem. It's very obvious today. We are running out of space. Uh, quite honestly, we're out of space up here. Uh, we're out of space down in kids. And we want to create more space so that more people can enter into the life of our church family. Jesus, the one mission Jesus gave to the church is to make disciples of all the nations. And uh, this is a very low bar, but if we don't have a seat for somebody, we cannot disciple those people. And so we want to create more space. So here's how we're going to do that. On March the 5th, so a few weeks from now, we're going to multiply from one gathering at 10 a.m. to two gatherings at 9 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. every Sunday morning. And here's the whole purpose of this. The whole purpose of this is to create space so that more of our friends, family, co-workers, neighbors can enter into the life of our, uh, of our church family, find Jesus, and become disciples of Jesus. That's the whole purpose. So 
With that, three big asks I've got of everybody in the room. Here's the three big asks. You're going to hear this all the time over the next few weeks. Invite a friend, join a serve team, choose a service. Invite a friend, join a serve team, choose a service. This is what I need every person to do over the next few weeks. Many of you are already doing multiple of these things. First, invite a friend. Invite a friend. The whole reason we are doing this is because God loves our city and God loves the people of our city. And there are people that are not here yet that God loves and desires to be here. And so the whole reason we're doing this is because we want to see more stories like these stories we just witnessed, and we need to create more space. So uh, here in a couple, here, uh, actually next week, uh, we're going to give you the, the opportunity to indicate on a card a friend that you're going to start praying for and a friend that you're going to invite on March the 5th, because the whole reason we're doing this is so that more people can belong and follow Jesus alongside of us. Uh, number two is join a serve team. If you are not on a serve team, we want you to serve. We say this all the time. The church is not a product that we consume, but it is a community we contribute to. It's, a, it's the body of Christ. And if we all don't play our part, we will not see the mission of Jesus go forward. And so we want to invite you to be on a serve team. Next week, you'll fill out a card. Think about it this week. What serve team you want, want to be on. We're going to tell you more about those opportunities next week, and you'll be able to indicate how you want to serve in the life of our church. And quite honestly, this is a cool opportunity because when you serve, your experience of the church changes. It goes from like, I'm just showing up, I don't really know anybody here, I want to, you know, maybe get a good teaching and, you know, sing a little bit, to like a community that you're helping build. Uh, and so we want everybody on a serve team. And then finally, choose a service. Uh, we want to have you indicate next week which service you're more likely to go to because that helps us with planning. This is a massive thing uh, for our church family. I'm really, really excited about it. Uh, it is evidence. Here's the thing, guys. Can I just name something? Jesus promised in the Gospel of Matthew that he will build his church, not shrink his church right? He promised, I just want to highlight this for you. The promise of Jesus is that he will build his church, not that he would shrink his church. And we're experiencing and living in the promises of Jesus Christ. Wow, incredible stuff. So let me pray for us, and then we are going to dive into our Bible teaching. Uh, Jesus, uh, thank you for the promise uh, on the pages of scripture where you say, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, we want to invite you, Jesus, to do whatever it is you have for us in the future. We want to submit our plans for the future to your plans for the future. And so I just pray over our church family, God. Psalm chapter 90, we've been praying it for the last six years. Bless the work of our hands upon us. Yes, Lord, bless the work of our hands. I pray, God, we, I pray for new people to come to faith just very, for this very simple reason, because we made a space for them to come and sit and hear the good news of the gospel. God, I pray that we would experience church differently as we contribute and not just consume. And God, that we would be a part of a kingdom movement here in the city where people's lives are changed and our city is changed uh, forever. So come and do this in the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, let's dive into Acts chapter 2. I want to talk to you out of Acts 2 about your faith in Jesus moving from intellectual to experiential. I want to talk to you today out of Acts chapter 2 about your faith in Jesus moving from merely intellectual, where it's like just concepts that we talk about, to an experiential reality of life with God. Today is all about how New Testament Christianity is not just like theological, philosophical concepts to give mental consent, assent, and consent to, but it is a, an experienced reality of the living God. This is what New, New Testament Christianity is all about. We're moving through Acts chapter 2, studying the core practices of the very first church. And practice number five is the practice of praying for signs, 
wonders, and miracles. Quite literally, in the New Testament, in the very first church, they prayed for things like physical healing, things like, and some of you are going to be like, oh, really, demonic deliverance, things like healing of mental conditions, and they expected and saw God show up and do those things. Now, some of you, as I talk about signs, wonders, and miracles, I know that like five of you are like, let's pray for it now, and the other hundred, a few hundred of you are like, can you explain this a little bit to me? And so my goal today is kind of like move us in this direction. So let's get, our, let's get our eyes on the New Testament. This is Acts chapter 2. The church is born in the first part of Acts chapter 2. And then look at what these new Christians, these very first Christians, 3,000 of them devoted themselves to. It says this, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. They, these new Christians, the very first church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is Bible teaching. That's why we teach the Bible around here. To the fellowship, this is life together. This is why you, you should probably be at a Super Bowl party with your community group later today, you know? Uh, to life together. Uh, to the breaking of bread, which is all about communion, which keeps the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus central to uh, their life together. We're not, we are a Jesus people. We are a cross people. We are a resurrection people. That's what breaking of bread is all about. And to prayer. We're a people that are uh, dependent on God that cry out to God and expect God to move in power. Now watch this. Now watch this. This is even in the verse. Everyone was filled with awe. Imagine this. Imagine this. First church, very first church, what's going down? They get together. They do some Bible teaching. They do a little prayer. They do a little worship. We're getting to that. That's in a few weeks. We're going to talk about rejecting passive worship like this and passionately worshiping God. They do a little worship. They take communion. And awe came upon everyone. They weren't bored by God in their life together, but they were filled with awe. Why? Well, many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. So imagine, let's just do a little thought experiment. Just, just imagine this. Uh, for just a second, imagine that you get home from the church gathering today, you know, you're preparing for your Super Bowl party or whatever you're going to do later today, um, and a friend calls you, and they, and they just ask you the very simple question, you know, how was, how was church today? How was, how was the gathering with the church today? And um, you, 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 instead of like the classic answer where you, this is what would happen a lot of times, you would, you'd say, well, you know, it was good. No, it was fine, I guess, you know, I saw a couple of my friends and went to the Connect class because I was new, which you should do if you're new. Went to the Connect class free lunch. Lunch was okay. Um, and uh, sang, sang one of my favorite songs. We're going to sing Same God, which is good here in a little bit, you know. Sang one of my favorite songs. The teaching was okay. A little hard to follow. Got a couple nuggets, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, and uh, then I'm home. Imagine instead of that, you told your friend something like this. I can't explain it to you. Like, I can't explain it to you. Like, we did the normal stuff. You know, it's like apostles teach. We did Bible teaching, and we sang, and we took communion, and people received prayer. But, like, when we did that, the only way I can explain it is it's like God showed up. It's like the person of God showed up. People were receiving prayer, and it really seemed like something was happening. We saw a couple people physically healed of diseases, physical ailments. It was like, 
And it was like my experience of church this morning. Just imagine you say this on the phone. It was like in my experience of church this morning, it went from God being just kind of like concepts that we argue about to like a very real experienced reality in the room. This is what happened in Acts chapter 2. Everyone was filled with awe. What will your experience of this gathering be like today? What are your expectations when you come in here on a Sunday morning? Are you just going through the motions? Or are you expecting Acts 2 to unfold in our midst? Everyone was filled with awe. And wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, even as I say this, I know, and I mentioned this a minute ago, there's a lot of skepticism around miracles and signs and wonders happening in the church today. And quite honestly, the reason there's a lot of skepticism where like our, our little like uh, uh, defenses go up when I talk about it, it's like Miracle Sunday, you know, is because these things have been misused and abused a lot. It's like we, all, we, we know that whenever we talk about signs and wonders and miracles, we all know the stuff that we see on TV where it's like the guy's on the stage and he's like, you know, I don't know if you've seen the Benny Hinn, Let the Bodies Hit the Floor video, but that's what I'm kind of talking about. And it's like, you know, you, you, they, they, hit, they hit him on the head and they fall back and everybody's kind of like doing wild stuff. And then at the very end of that, they're like, oh yeah, if you want the miracle, you can pay us a little bit of money. You know, it's like we know, we know, we watch this stuff on TV and it kind of gives us a bad taste in our mouths and we think, man, maybe those kinds of things don't happen in the church today. And there are two ways, and I want to highlight these, there are two ways that people try to rain on the parade of miracles happening in the church today. Two reasons people claim that this kind of stuff can't happen anymore. And what I want to do is I want to start our time together by giving you these two reasons people say miracles can't happen in the church for it. And I want to show you why they are I want to lovingly show you why they are wrong, okay? So here are the two reasons why people say miracles can't happen in the church anymore. First, people will say the book of Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. So here's how the argument goes. What we read on the pages of the book of Acts, specifically things like Acts chapter 2, where signs and wonders are happening, and Acts chapter 3, these are descriptive of what happened in the transition from old covenant to new covenant, but these are not prescriptive for what we should expect in the life of the church today. Does that, does that make sense to you guys? These are descriptive things in this transitioning time right after the resurrection of Jesus when the Holy Spirit fell, but these are not, descri- these are not prescriptive for what we should experience as we gather together with the church today. Now, here's what we would say to this. We say, if somebody was on the stage kind of like saying this to me, I would say, I love you. I don't know if you know this, but we can love people we disagree with. (laughs) I love you. I respect you. But you're wrong. Here's what Sam Storm says. Sam Storm says this. I love this quote. We're going to lean on Sam Storms. He's a pastor out of Oklahoma City, scholar, taught at Wheaton Wheaton College for a long time. He says this, Christians in Rome in Romans 12, Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Samaria in Acts 8, Caesarea in Acts 10, Antioch in Acts 13, Ephesus in Acts 19, Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5, and Galatia in Galatians 3, experience the miraculous and revelatory gifts. Now, I didn't have time to take you to all of these texts, but I'm showing you. Take a picture. You can go study them later, Okay. Now, he says this, it's difficult to imagine how the New Testament authors could have spoken any more clearly about what New Covenant Christianity is supposed to be like. 
It's like, man, you read this stuff on the pages of the New Testament, and what we read on the pages of the New Testament, very simply, is what we should expect in the life of the church today. It's everywhere in the New Testament. It's all throughout the book of Acts, all in the letters that are written to the churches in the region. The second reason people will say that they don't think these kinds of signs and wonders happen in the church today is because they say that these signs and wonders were given to the apostles only. So only the apostles could do these kinds of of miracles. And they would point to our passage right here where it says, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. And they would say, see, they were performed through the apostles. To which we would say again, I love you because we can love and respect people that we disagree with. I respect you, but you're wrong. Sam Storms says this, I love this. Others, aside from the apostles, who exercised miraculous gifts include, again, I don't have time to take you to all of these. Take a picture, go study it later. Others, aside from the apostles, who exercised miraculous gifts include the 70 who were commissioned in Luke 10, 9, 9, 19, and 20, at least 108 people among the 120 who were gathered in the upper room on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Stephen in Acts 6 and 7, Philip in Acts 8, Ananias in Acts 9, you're like, okay, I get it. Uh, church members in Antioch in Acts 13, anonymous converts in Ephesus in Acts 19, women at Caesarea, so it's not just a men and women thing, it's women too, women at Caesarea in Acts 21, the unnamed brothers of, Galatian, uh, uh, of Galatians 3.5, believers in Rome, believers in Corinth, and Christians in Thessalonica. So that's enough. I think we have, I think we have a little bit uh, more of a quote. No, that, I, we don't. That's the end of the quote. I'm sorry. So here's what all of this means. I wanted to just give you this overwhelming evidence so that you could go and look at this and know that this is everywhere in the New Testament. Here's what all of this means. If we want to experience New Testament Christianity, we should, we should at times expect to experience physical and life-altering manifestations of the goodness and power of God in our midst. We should. We should not blink at this, be worried about it. We read this on the pages of the New Testament, and we should expect to experience today. Where God moves in our gatherings, in our life together, from mental concept to experiential and personal reality. Now, you know this, but if we pay attention to the ministry of Jesus, the, one of the core components of the ministry of Jesus is the ministry of signs and wonders. Like everywhere Jesus is going in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is performing signs and wonders, right? He's going to blind people and he's giving them sight. He's going to people who can't walk and he's saying, hey, get up and walk. He's going to people who are out of their mind and possessed by demons and he's casting demons doing things like casting demons out of these people. He is raising people from the physical dead multiple times in the Gospels. He healed the tongue of a man who couldn't speak. And for most of us, and I think that this is a Western church problem. You know, if you talk to our friends, I'll highlight this later. If you talk to our friends in like the global south, if you talk to our friends who are following Jesus in like Africa and Southeast Asia, this is not a problem for them, okay? But for us, we read the accounts of he, the healings of Jesus. We read the accounts of Jesus performing miracles, and we think, man, that's awesome. It's like we, you know, you're, you're, you're doing your Bible reading plan. You're in the Gospel of Mark. You're like, very cool. God, you know, Jesus healed the blind guy. Blind man. Very cool. You know, you're reading in the Gospel of John, and you're like, wow, Jesus came up to a, a crippled man, and he, said, and he said, walk, very cool. But then what we do is we disconnect that Jesus from our expectations in the church. 
What's up with that? We forget that Jesus said things like this to his disciples. This is John 14, verse 12. We'll put it up here on the screen. He says, he, he, he was going around doing all of these signs and wonders, and then he turns to his disciples and he says things like this. Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. Oh. Really? Like, and I imagine the disciples are like, really? And he said, really? Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works. I think these are greater in quantity, not quality quantity for more people. He will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Right here he talks about how uh, he's going to give the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is actually us having the Holy Spirit inside of us is better than having Jesus beside us. Having the Holy Spirit, Jesus says this, having the Holy Spirit inside of us, in the room, working among us right now, is better than Jesus Christ himself up here on the stage teaching us the scriptures. You will do the works that I do. And it's like, man, you see this, and it's no wonder that when the disciples got together in Acts chapter 2 and all of these people are coming to faith, they expected to see people delivered from demonic activity. They expected to see people healed of physical ailments, and they expected to see people saved. They expected it. It wasn't odd. It wasn't freaky. It was expected. It was expected. This is why J.D. Greer calls the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the church in Acts, Jesus continued because the church has always been meant to continue the very ministry of Jesus Christ. Now here's why I bring all of this up and here's what I'm wanting you to see. We have to see that there has been a disconnect somewhere. I'm sure there's great explanations from church history about how this disconnect came to be. There's been a disconnect between New Testament Christianity and our common experience in the Western church. In Heights family, we need a reconnection. We need a reconnection. Now, moment of honesty. You know, I, I mentioned this earlier. Moment of honesty here as we dig into this and we start to talk about signs and wonders. Moment of honesty. I know that like the five of you are like gung-ho and you're like ready to go, but it's like I feel, I, as, as I lead our church into some of this stuff, as I looked at this in Acts chapter 2 and I was like, okay, we're going to do a week on signs, wonders, and miracles, I felt a little bit nervous about it. It's like I felt a little, can I, can I get a, like if you feel that way, can you nod your head so I don't feel like I'm alone? Okay? <laughs> you're like, you did? You know? Yes. It's like, here's how I feel about this stuff and expecting this stuff in the life of the church. Like 51, 52% of me is like, let's do it. And 48% of me is like, are we really going to do that? You know? Are we really going to press in and see this stuff and try to see this stuff happen? I feel a little bit nervous, a little bit of skepticism, but here's the kind of church we want to be. And here's the, here's the conviction. Here's the kind of people we want to be. We want to be a people who look at the New Testament, who read the New Testament plainly and allow it to shape our expectations of our life together. Where it's going, man, maybe, maybe sometimes I'm wrong and I need the scriptures to put me on a recourse, redirect me, and realign me with the desires of God. It's like when it comes to parts of following Jesus that make us uncomfortable, here's what we often do. It's like we'll come across things in the New Testament like Acts chapter 2, verse 43, and we'll just kind of go, let's just move on to the next verse. And you know what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, 
I'm just going to stay in my Christian lanes that make me comfortable. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up at the gathering. I'm going to kind of sit in the back. No shade on those of you sitting in the back. I know it's full in here. We're trying to multiply services so you can sit in the front. Um, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up at service. I'm going to show up at service. I'm going to kind of engage. I'm going to sing a little bit, not too loud so that nobody hears me. I'm going to get into a community group. I'm going to do, do another Bible study so I know a little bit more head knowledge about who God is. I've been doing this for 25 years. I'm going to do another Bible study. I'm going to listen to another podcast from, you know, John Mark Comer or Tim Keller. And I'm going to get a little bit more info. It's like, it's great. And listen to the podcast. I'm not throwing shade on the podcast. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to simultaneously ignore some of these hard things in the New Testament and not press into it. This is what we do. We just like skip over. I think it's so funny. One of the things I noticed in Acts 2 and just doing this study together through these core components of the early church is like they're all kind of classic church things that we feel comfortable comfortable with except for this one. It's like, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, we're going to do Bible teaching. We all feel comfortable with that. I just have to sit here. And uh, we're going to do prayer. And we're going to do, we're going to talk about generosity. We're going to talk about living on mission. But it comes to verse 43 and we just kind of skip over it. And we're like, we don't know what to do with that. So let's not touch it. But Heist family, we've got to touch it. We've got to go. It's right there. And it's not only right there. It's everywhere in the New Testament. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And so here's how I want to spend the rest of our time together. I want to, my conviction and what I've been praying uh, as I've, prepared to come and teach you this stuff is I want to move us toward this, okay? I want to move us toward this, okay? I know some of you are gung-ho about it. You're like, I'm ready for signs, wonders, and miracles to break out right now, okay? And I'm holding my praying in tongues back right now. You know, some of you are like right there. Um, And others of you are like, dude, I am really, some of you are, man, like I'm exploring Christianity. I don't even know what to think about this. So my goal is to take all of us and move us toward this, whatever that means for you. And to do that, I want to do a couple of things. First, I want to talk to you about the purpose of miracles in the Bible. And I'll show you the three core purposes of miracles in the Bible, and we'll talk through those three. And then I want to do a rapid fire Q&A, and then we're going to pray for healing. Okay, and that's what we're, and we're going to practice this stuff. And Jonathan's going to come up, and he's going to talk about how to do this in an orderly way. And we're not going to get weird on you. We make invitations. You make decisions. This is not a high-pressure thing. But we want to believe this stuff because it's right on the pages of the New Testament Scriptures. So first, I want to talk to you about the three purposes of signs, wonders, and miracles in the Bible. And you you can remember these because they move in three directions. And so whenever you think of the purposes of miracles, you can think of, uh, of three directions. They point upward, they point forward, and they point inward. So if you want to understand miracles in the Bible, just remember these three things. Upward, forward, inward. Upward, forward, inward. Let's say it together. Miracles. Upward, forward, inward. You guys are killing it. I love you. First, if you want to understand miracles, uh, you need to understand that they always point upward to God's character and power. They point upward to God's character and power. The point of miracles are not miracles. The point of miracles are God. This is huge. And so as we step in and step out in faith and we pursue this, we are not pursuing the signs and wonders themselves. We are pursuing what's on the other side of the signs and wonders, and that is the power of God for his glory, not because, like, our church can do cool stuff. It's all about God. First, they point upward to God's character. When we read about a miracle in the scriptures or we experience a miracle of God in 2023, they point us upward to God's reality, okay? And here's what I mean by that, that God is not just a concept, he is a person, and he's real. He's very real. 
and he's involved in our lives, that he is here. When we see these things and experience these things, we understand that he loves us. He cares for us. He's good. He's concerned. And the list goes on and on. And that he's powerful. They show us what God is like and show us that God is not just conceptual, but a real person who loves you. And loves us. Because often what will happen if somebody's healed in the life of the church, it will encourage the whole church. It'll like boost everyone's faith. Like immediately you're walking out into the world, you're like, my God is real. You know, I don't care what anybody says this week at work, around the water cooler, God's real. You know, because I saw it at church on Sunday. That's what, that's what they do. They point upward to God's reality. So a lot of people will claim things like that Jesus was just kind of like a great moral teacher or a great, uh, great philosopher, which he was. In fact, Jesus is the greatest teacher that has ever lived, and he is the greatest and deepest philosopher that has ever lived. You can read the Gospels through, that lens, through those lenses. But also, you have to see that Jesus is a miracle worker. And what Jesus' miracles do is they, are, is they authenticate that Jesus is from God, and God is for Jesus. Does that make sense? They show, they reveal his power. He is the God who is here and the God who loves. The 18th century theologian Jonathan Edwards says it like this. I love this quote. In healing the sick and opening the eyes of the blind and unstopping the ears of the deaf and healing the lame, he showed that, that he was the God that frames the eye and created the ear and was the author of the frame of man's body. By the dead, dead's rising at his command, it appeared that he was the author and fountain of life. By his stilling the storm and calming the rage of the sea, by his powerful command saying, peace be still, he, Jesus, showed that he has the command of the universe and that he is the God who brings things to pass by the word of his power, who speaks and it is done, who commands and it stands fast. Christ, by casting out devils, which we call demons uh, in 2023, Christ, by casting out demons, remarkably appeared as the lion of the tribe of Judah and showed that he was stronger than any lion that seeks whom he may devour. First, miracles point upward to the character and power of God. This is who our God is. He's here, he loves us, and he cares. They point upward. Second, miracles point forward. Miracles point forward to the future restoration of all things. This is a shocker to most people, but the central hope of Christianity is not that Jesus will save our souls so that we can go float around in some sort of spiritual realm called heaven. You know, a lot of people think that's what Christianity is about, and quite frankly, if that's what Christianity is about, I'm out. That does not sound appealing to me whatsoever. What we see in the New Testament, if you read parts of the New Testament, like Revelation 21 and 22, like 1 Corinthians 15 and 16, which we will, uh, which we will study as a church family later today, you will see that the central hope of Christianity is an embodied hope. That what Jesus came to do through his life, death, and resurrection is to save and renew all things. That there is a day coming where Jesus will physically return to this earth. This is what the New Testament teaches. He will physically return to this earth. He will physically raise you from the dead with a physical body that you could do that too. And your body will be an incorruptible body that will never get sick. And he will redeem and restore everything that is broken on this earth. This is the, hope, this is the central hope of Christianity. Now, here's why that's really good news. Because that's actually appealing. It's like, I don't want to go float around like a little angel with a cute booty. 
But you know what I want? I want to live forever in a beautiful heaven and earth where everything is made new, where everything's redeemed, where everything is restored, where there's no more war, where there's no more earthquakes in Turkey and Syria that kill this many people. Jesus is going to put an end to all of that stuff. This is the central hope of Christianity. So here's why this is important. This is important because you need to understand that when we see a miracle, it's like a window that we look through of the future so that we can see the future that is coming for everyone who places their faith in Jesus. Miracles point forward. Um, And this is important because if you're here and you're a little skeptical of Christianity, you're like, I don't know, you read Acts 22 about signs and wonders, it's easy to kind of like look at your friend that brought you here and be like, see, this is why I can't believe this stuff. Like this guy appears insane and uh, this stuff is silly and uh, honestly, it's really unbelievable. It's, it's impossible to believe. It's, out, it's outlandish and it's ridiculous. But to think that way about the signs and wonders that we see in the Bible is to fundamentally misunderstand the miracles that we see Jesus doing. To think that these are, actually to use the word supernatural, is not the case. These are not supernatural, and I want to show you this, but they are very natural things that we see Jesus doing. What do I mean by that? Well, for modern people like us, the typical way we understand miracles in the Bible and miracles we uh, expect to experience here in the church today is to view them as the suspension of the natural order, where it's like, you know, normal things stop and this is supernatural land. But this isn't actually how the Bible presents signs, wonders, and miracles. Uh, Tim Keller, in his book, The Reason for God, says this, and it's super helpful on how to understand biblical miracles and how to understand when we experience a miracle today. He says this, We modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. This is massive. The Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. He is the healer. His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, which is pointing upward, but also wonderful foretaste of what he's going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world that we all want is coming. They point forward. This is why in the New Testament, Jesus doesn't just do magic tricks. It's very important. You know, a lot of people think of the signs and wonders that Jesus does and the signs and wonders in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament are just like magic tricks where Jesus would like take a coin and be like, do you see this coin with Caesar's face on it? And he would, he would make it disappear, you know, and, and everybody would be like, wow, you must be God, you know? <laughs> Uh, he didn't do something like that. He wouldn't, like, take a guy that was kind of getting on everybody's nerves and go, watch this guy's and, like, make him levitate, you know, <laughs> over there. He didn't do things like that. If he was with us today, this is the classic joke that I've used. It's like, we kind of think that Jesus would be our little buddy, like our miracle-working buddy, and it's like, you know, if your dog dies, Jesus would raise your dog from the dead. If your cat dies, he'd be there to help you bury it and comfort you, you know? Um, that's, that's a good joke. I know that's a good joke. Uh, yeah. But well, here's my point. Here's my point. I use that a few. Some of you are like, I've been around long enough. I've heard you say that before. Uh, but man, it, here's the thing. Jesus's, Jesus's signs and wonders are not just magic tricks. They're not just like random acts of like suspending the supernatural. All of his miracles are God working within nature, within reality, and intentionally turning sad natural realities into happy natural realities. 
It's what he's always doing. C.S. Lewis, in his book on miracles, he wrote a whole book on miracles, shows how when Jesus feeds the 5,000 and turns the water into wine and multiplies the fish, he's just doing what God does. In every vineyard, God is turning water into wine. In every ocean and lake and river, God is multiplying the fish. In every field, God is multiplying the loaves. Guys, this is what our God does. Jesus just speeds it up because he's God, you know? And I, I love this. So what we need to see God doing, what we, and so what we see God through, doing through Jesus and in the church, in Acts, in miracles, is restoring the true nature of the world that we inhabit. This is what all of his miracles are about. Restoring the true nature of the world that we inhabit. We were not created to be sick, so Jesus heals the sick. We were not created to be lame, so Jesus helps lame people walk. We were not created to die, so what will Jesus do for all people who place their faith in him? He will raise us from the dead. He is not doing what is unnatural. He is doing what is most natural. And here's how we know that, because every one of our human hearts longs for the things Jesus does. We're longing for it. Whether you consider yourself like a lifelong Christian, you're like, I'm 75, I believe in Jesus, or you're here and you're an atheist, we know death is the most unnatural thing, and Jesus came to reverse it. And what these, do, these signs do is these signs point us forward to the coming reality. They are a foretaste of what Jesus will do for everyone who trusts in him. He will heal us fully and finally. No disease, no death, no tears, no sadness, full healing of all things. And miracles are like a little movie trailer of the full, fe full feature film that is to come. He's going to make everything new. Finally, uh, miracles point inward to our soul's need of salvation. They point inward to our soul's need of salvation. One of the most fascinating things Jesus does is look at people with physical needs and tell them that their sins are forgiven. Okay, it's like, if, if, if you were a disciple, you'd look at Jesus and go, social awareness, you know, <laughs> social awareness, great that, in fact, they do this, great that his sins are forgiven would be even better if he could walk. In Matthew chapter 9, uh, we have a scene where Jesus does this. Jesus has an interaction with a man who can't walk, and he, and he does two things for the man. He does two things for the man. He forgives his sin, and then he heals the man's legs. And the order is very significant. Jesus shows us in this scene. Why is that order significant? Well, Jesus shows us in this scene that the man has a deeper problem than his legs being crippled, and that is that his soul is crippled with sin. This is the point. Jesus is always coming, trying to heal the deeper need. All of his signs point inward to our need for heart-level salvation. Jesus heals blind people regularly, but Ephesians 2 says that we are all spiritually, spiritually blind apart from the work of the Holy Spirit opening up our eyes. Peter does the same thing in Acts chapter 3, if you just kept reading from our text today. Peter heals a man, and then he uses it to talk about the deeper inward sickness of our souls and our need for the forgiveness and healing of our hearts. The point is that physical miracles always point inward to the need of a spiritual miracle that every person needs, that all of us need, and that is that our hearts of stone will be miraculously transformed into hearts of flesh that receive the word of God and submit to the, authority, the good authority of God. This is why Ezekiel 36, 26, this is the greatest miracle in the Bible, God says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And we can't mistake this. This right here is the greatest miracle that God does. 
This is the greatest miracle. And so if you find yourself here and you're, you're skeptical of miracles, I would just point you right here to the baptism trough where you just saw God, evidence of God working miracles and taking people's hearts of stone and turning them into hearts of flesh. I love this. When Quinn walked by, he was exploring Buddhism. He was exploring all kinds of stuff. He walked in here because we had a seat for him. He heard the good news of the gospel. Jack started meeting with him. They started reading the New Testament together. He goes, I love Jesus. And that's the miracle of heart transformation. So some of you are here today and you're like, dude, I don't know Jesus. Here's what you need. You need the miracle of heart transformation. You need to go, God, I, I, I'm aware that most of the time I want nothing to do with you, and I need you to change my heart of stone into a heart of flesh. This is the greatest miracle that God does. Now, some of you are skeptical of that. You're like, why is that the greatest miracle that God does? Well, here's why. Because even if Jesus sees fit to heal us now, which we should long for, which we should pray for, all of our bodies are eventually going to break down and we will die. This is why it's the greatest miracle. This is why it's the most important miracle. Like if you, if you think about it, all of the people that Jesus healed in the Gospels are now dead. But here's the promise for the person who experiences, experiences the inner heart transformation. That if you receive the miracle of your heart of stone being turned into a heart of flesh, if you receive this miracle, if God works this miracle in your life, and you place your faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, though you will die, you will be raised from the dead to live forever. This is why it's the greatest miracle. It's why it's the first miracle. Miracles in the Bible point us upward to God's character, forward to the restoration of all things, and inward to our soul's need of salvation. This is why God granted miracles in the Gospels and why he still grants miracles in the church today. So what I want to do here is I want to land the plane, and I want to go ahead and invite the band up. I want to land the plane, and before I get off the stage and we, we really press for this stuff, I just want to do a rapid-fire Q&A on healings and miracles and signs and wonders, uh, because I know that there are still a lot of questions around this stuff. So I want to land the plane with four big questions about healing, and then we're just going to step out, and if you have sickness, mental, physical, spiritual sickness, if you're like, dude, I need the heart, I need the heart thing that you've been talking about from Ezekiel 36, uh, we're going to step out and we're going to give you the opportunity to receive prayer for these things. Four big questions. Number one, should healings be our everyday expectation? Um, and man, what I would say to this is, uh, and I'm going to do these really quickly, as much as I want to say yes, not necessarily. As much as I want to say yes, and we're going to step out and we're going to trust God for this. I want to say not necessarily. We should notice that Jesus did not heal everyone he encountered. This is very important. Like, not everyone that got in the proximity of Jesus was healed. And we have to, we have to deal with that, right? It's like he healed some but not all. And if that was his experience, then we should expect for that to be our experience too. Our job is to step out in faith. His job is to decide where and when to work in healing power. Our job is to step out in faith. His job is to decide where and when to step out and work in healing power. Uh, number two, should hope of supernatural healing ever replace normal medical procedures? Never! <laughs> never! Never! Uh, sometimes Jesus heals us supernaturally, and sometimes he heals us through the common grace of a paramedic, nurse, doctor, surgeon, um, or somebody in the medical field right? This is true. We shouldn't make that decision for him. So pray, receive prayer, seek God, seek supernatural healing, and then get to your doctor, right? It's like, this is just good advice. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 
In 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, and apparently Timothy's been having a little tummy problems. And Paul tells Timothy in the scriptures, hey man, why don't you drink a little wine for your tummy, you know? So when I have a glass of wine at night, it's like I'm doing this for my tummy, right? Um, so <laughs> anyways, uh, should hope of supernatural healing ever replace normal medical procedure? No. Number three, will everyone who prays in faith receive healing? We're talking about physical, spiritual, emotional healing. The answer to this is complicated. It's yes and no. It's yes and no. One of the interesting things about healing is that for the person whose faith is in Jesus, the prayer for healing is always answered with a yes. This is very significant. It might just be answered with a not right now. Not right now. It's always answered with a yes. One day when God restores all things, all of our prayers for physical, mental, spiritual healing will be answered because we will be raised from the dead with incorruptible bodies. So is it God's will to heal you Yes. Is it God's will to heal you right now? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Number four, why, does, why doesn't uh, this kind of thing happen more often? Sorry for the typo. Why doesn't this kind of thing happen more often? Well, in one sense, this is a mystery, right? It's like, why is this not happening at every church all over the world? Every Sunday, why isn't this thing happening more often? Well, in one sense, it's a mystery, but I just have to believe that in another sense, it's because we don't step out in faith and pray for it. It's like what we do is we, we allow our cynicism and skepticism of these kinds of things to rise up and block the very promises of God. We go, I don't know. I got a lot of questions. But it's for this reason that Jesus said, unless you come to me like a child, you cannot come to me at all. And so it's like, man, we are not anti-intellectualism around here. We believe that there are good arguments for the existence of God and the purposes of God in the world and the reliabilities of the scriptures. We are not anti-intellectualism at all, but you need to know that sometimes you will come to the end of your ability to figure things out and you need to step out in faith. Why doesn't it happen more often? Well, maybe it's because we don't step out in faith and ask. Receive prayer. And so church family, we just see this stuff on the pages of Acts chapter 2. And our conviction around here is we don't skip over the hard stuff. We're looking at verse 43 of Acts chapter 2 and we're going, signs, wonders, miracles. And we've been saying, man, if we want the power of the New Testament church, we've got to give ourselves to what? To the practices of the New Testament church. And so today, we're just going to step out in faith. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us, give us boldness to step out. And then Jonathan, he's going to come and he's going to instruct us on how we're going to take communion and pray for healing and do all of those kinds of things. So let me pray for us and then we're going to, we're going to move into a time of response. So Lord Jesus, we love you. We believe that you've come into the world not to give us some sort of like non-embodied hope, but that you've come into the world and through your life, death, and physical resurrection that you've given us hope that you are going to make all things new. That whatever pain, problem, disease we have right now, 
it will not last forever. This is the hope. And so God, we want to move toward faithfulness to the New Testament. So whatever it says, clearest reading, we're just going to do that right there. And as we do that, we're going to trust you to show up in power. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and minister to our hearts. We pray for boldness to receive prayer for physical healing, mental healing, emotional healing, relational healing, spiritual healing. God, more than anything, what we're wanting is the greatest miracle, the the primary miracle, and that is the hearts of stone would be made into hearts of flesh. So I pray over my friends that are here that haven't been walking with you. I pray that today would be a line in the sand moment where they would say, I was spiritually healed. God gave me the heart of flesh and I didn't desire the things of God and now I desire the things of God. I believe Jesus is who he says that he was and that he died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead. We need the heart miracle. So Holy Spirit, only you can change hearts. We invite you to do that. Come and work in power in Jesus' name. Amen.